This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And one of my favorite things about Zupan's is their fish department and their meat department. But this weekend only, buy one, get one, steelhead, get one free. The fillets this week only when you sign up for their email list. And while you're there, take advantage of Sumo Citrus being in season. We've been, uh, dare we say, Sumo Citrus evangelists for some time, Chris Angelus. <laughs> <laughs> evangelists yes i love sumo citrus i just had one last night as a matter of fact so did i they're so good and that little knot that's what they call that little bump at the top i i did some research since our last conversation chris it's the knot is is it's basically kind of like the little uh, you know it's the little you, you peel it first and then the, the peel just comes right off it's something to grasp onto yes it's pretty great and that's what we're all looking for in life, something to grasp onto. Yes. Another thing for you to check out is the big game is just weeks away. Uh, they're prepping some great uh, things, marinated wings, stuffed jalapenos, house-made guacamole, and much, much more for your football feasting. So when you think of football, think of Zupan's Markets and how to furnish the you know the food for the day. And there's a lot of smaller games until we get to the bigger game. Yep. So always be thinking of Zupan's. For sure, three locations to serve you. You've got McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Oswego. And information always found where? Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm co-host, Court Johnson. Court, there's one thing that we must say mm -hmm. because it's imperative when this stuff happens, when this weather shit happens, and it is the slowest time of the year for restaurants yes, and food carts, especially, get out if you can and support them um, because this is when they need you. Yep. So those restaurants that you may not have been able to get in to uh -huh. for most of the year right now, maybe not Friday and Saturdays, but right now during the week, you can probably get into anywhere. I know I saw our friend Gabriel Rucker at La Pigeon talking about the fact that you can get in La Pigeon right now. And he was encouraging as, as, want to do in portland oregon where everybody will will support everyone else he was encouraging everyone to get out to three of their favorite restaurants this month to help out because you know every day that are closed is yeah eats right into whatever margins they have like one day kills the whole margin for the month and the second day puts them into the red yeah. So sure. something, something like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but they're living on what? 5% margins. So do the math there. You cut yeah. one day of revenue out where you have nothing and you got to pay your people. Right. So, um, yeah. You know, and, and if you're not able to get out, which you should do, you can hop on their websites, per purchase, uh, gift cards, merch, do, do things that way. If you're not able to physically be in their space, but you know, do, do your best to get out. Right. These are mom and pop businesses and you know, they work really, really hard. They do. And, and it's a tough market out there with labor pools and so forth. And, uh, so much going on. Now's the time to help support them. And I have to do the same. I was actually had a reservation last night, but couldn't go because of the ice. Yeah. But I will get, we'll just postpone that for somewhere else, yeah. some other time. So. 
There we go. Good PSA there, Chris. Yes. Another quick PSA is if you're sitting around now because you can't go anywhere, get over to your phone or your computer. Go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and look forward to brighter, sunnier days than we have right now and book or consider or let your friends know any of those things that there are trips with the folks from Urdaneta to Basque Country and Andalusia uh, this year, spring and fall. And then also we have a couple of spots left to Sardinia with Austria Ensign. Um, that is going to be a fantastic trip. If you're, you know, everybody's talking Sicily now because of the White Lotus. Sardinia is bigger and further north, and it's not the place that's overrun with tourists right now. And we have a spectacular trip there. So my Portland Food Adventures trips are great. They're almost sold out for 2024, which thank you so much, Universe and people who've booked already. I appreciate that. And uh, anybody who's interested is going to enjoy some of the folks that have signed up and all the things that we have in store. So that's PortlandFoodAdventures.com. We're speaking of PSAs. One of those restaurants you may want to go to because it's great. And if you've never gone to Heavenly Creatures, you're going to want to go. And Heavenly Creatures is over on Broadway, right where, uh, uh, where Chesa used to be mm-hmm. and, and, uh, 360 Churros right there. And, uh, it is owned by Joel Gunderson and Aaron. Barnett of who also owns St. Jack. Joel and Aaron teamed up to open St. Jack years ago. Also, Joel uh, is the proprietor of Cooper's Hall, so you might know him from there. And uh, this episode that we ran a year ago, when was this? Oh, God, it was exactly. Almost exactly a year ago, January 13th. Ex- yeah. January 13th. Maybe we were running it for the same reason, to encourage people to get out. We just run episodes. We don't have particular reasons other than to highlight the backstories of our the wonderful people who are part of our Portland food scene. Exactly. But, which is what this episode does. So, uh, Joel... Uh, I think I pointed out before, it's probably in the intro when you run this, but Joel was the test interview when I, when I uh, auditioned to be the host of Right at the Fork back in December of 2013. And then mm. we've never had him back on for a while. So, um, anyway, he's a, he's a really great guy. He's very bright. Um, and it's, uh, it's always fun to read his Facebook posts. They're very, they're very deep. And uh, it's also fun to listen to him speak, which we'll do right now. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. 
It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's uh it's busy down here at, at Heavenly Creatures. That's so. good. I hear Thankfully. nothing but good things yeah. about it. I'm not as busy out here in Manzanita, so otherwise I might be in with you right now. But No, I mean it's lovely yeah. out there. Well, sort of. It's been really windy lately, so um but at any rate, listen, I am just tickled that we're actually doing this together after you were kind enough to be my audition guinea pig, I guess we can call it, way back when. Yeah. So. How long ago was that? So that was uh, December, or like uh, probably November of 2013. So it was almost 10 years ago. So uh, you haven't aged a bit. I've aged 10 years since then. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Time is real. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah. Plus, there's this two-year, two to three-year warp in there too. So, um, so no. I thank you for coming back. We've discussed it along the way over the past ten years, and somehow it never happened. But now I thought it was a good opportunity that you have your new venture going on. Another new venture since we first spoke. When we first spoke, you were at St. Jack, general manager at St. Jack. Okay. Right? Yeah. So that. Yeah, that was. Uh, that so yeah, that was that would be. Back that was yeah. it, though. That was yeah, the so, deal for you at that point in time. I don't think Cooper's Hall was in the, was on the scope yet. Yeah, it might have been on the scope, but it wasn't something I could talk about. I think oh, at that okay. time. So. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, definitely a lot of transition since then, and um, I think I've been part of. At least twelve restaurant openings. Twelve. Tell us what. Let's go down that list. What What is the list of (laughs) twelve restaurant openings? Well, let me think about it. Um, Well, I was part of Hamlet's opening. All right. Little short-lived thing there. Um, Pearl Tavern. All of the Grassa locations. And how many of those are Uh, there now? We have wow. five. So, yeah, Nick Sherman and Rich Ancarelli, yep. and they have five. And so I'm the wine director <clears throat> for all of those locations. Uh, and so just, you know, going from the learning curve of managing a wine program for one program to five, creating more like stability than ingenuity, I think is you know, or finding the happy balance between those things has been that. Uh, I helped open a place um, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, Got connected through Kurt Huffman with Chef Stable to do that. Uh, Went and did staff training in the middle of a seven-year storm up there. That was Oh, that must be some storm if it's a seven-year storm there. 
Uh, they they just said it was like one of the worst storms they've had in seven years. But yeah, there's Glorietta uh, up there, and, and then you got Cooper's obviously Hall. Cooper's Hall. Yeah, that's the big one. And we opened Cooper's Hall Northeast, which is an event space up here. But I'm I'm actually in Heavenly Creatures, which is a small little section up in Cooper's Hall Northeast. Right. Where we used to be able to get uh, some pretty good churros a long time, not too long ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not doing those. But I have to say, your backdrop is fantastic. You may get the award for best backdrop. (laughs) It seemed to make sense, you know, like, let's go ahead and put the wine right behind me. But, yeah. It's good. and It's a very expensive And background. you and I missed <laughs> the period. So since the pandemic started, we've been recording the podcast like this. But we used to have a nice mm-hmm. studio and a green room and all the, right. the, the good stuff. Um, so I'm sorry we missed that, but I'm just glad we're here now to talk about it. So it has not been a normal 10 years, right? If someone had told you what was going to transpire back then in terms of you know you've talked about 12 openings and that's fantastic but one of the um one of the downsides to having a few places that you're involved with is when a pandemic comes up and we hope that we're not going to be dealing with that again at least in your career in your work lifetime um that's a little challenging i remember seeing some of your posts when it was happening and uh boy that's how are you doing now? Are you coming out of it now? Are you feeling a little more optimistic? At least, like, let's let's do apples to apples because Cooper's Hall was up and operating and thriving when that happened. Absolutely, but yeah. But Heavenly Creatures is new. We had our... Right, yeah. I mean, well, with you know, when we went into the pandemic in 2020, Cooper's Hall had just had or was about to have their our best Q1 ever it was it was it was huge you know we just had our company party like two weeks before you know our holiday party as it was late because we are helping everybody else with their holiday parties and so february is generally when we do our our holiday party um i was supposed to get on to a plane to hawaii and uh, with my family to take a vacation and it was on that day that I uh, I let go of my entire team and fired myself um, so that was that was lovely let me see Hawaii <laughs> with your family or firing yourself and a lot of other people that you love too yeah 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 so that was that was intense and um, you know I think right now things feel good um they but i i think like everybody else we don't i think having that rug pulled out from under you there is there's just a general lack of confidence in in the state of affair like anything it's just like and i think you know for us we cooper's hall is a private event space a winery uh that is very locked into the rest of the food industry because mainly what we do is keg wine. So we are not a retail focused uh, winery. We are a restaurant focused winery with large space to Uh, fill. It's not, you know, that has a, yeah. So, I mean, so, 
so I think, you know, one of the things our job as people who run spaces, or at least for me with Cooper's Hall, is to to really try to manifest or show uh, confidence in what we're doing. Uh, you know, particularly if you're trying to book weddings in 2023 uh, and, and, and saying, yes, we will be here. <laughs> you know, we spent, we spent the entire pandemic um, holding the hands of, uh, you know, terrified couples that wanted to get married but couldn't and kept postponing their event and asking like, Hey, are, are you even going to be here? Like, like, is this going to, is this going to be a thing? Are we ever going to have our wedding? And, um, and then now it's just, you know, to ask somebody to invest in a, an event six months from now, people are a little gun shy. They're like, are, well, what, you know, what are the conditions? Um, we're seeing a lot more, um, legalese around, around, you know, even that, even that, that process. It's not like the old innocent days. It's, it requires a whole different mindset. However, I view it, I'm guessing it's kind of like people who've been through a divorce have trust issues moving forward because they at obviously at one point, just like you said, you were enjoying uh, your best quarter ever at yeah. some point, you're enjoying it enough to say, let's get married, and then you get married, and you know, let's assume that for most people, there's some good periods in there. And then the next thing you know, that doesn't exist any longer. So it's very hard to trust. And yeah, how can you know this isn't going to happen again? It's not gone, right? So yeah, that, right. that uh, begs, the, that, that leads to a lot of unsurety. So um and in your case, yeah, you, yeah think- you have to book far in advance. We're having that with travel. So we do trips to Europe. Right. We have to deal with the same issue. But people want to travel now, just like they want to get married. They want to do events. Uh, and yeah. they feel a little more comfortable with it than they did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, people want to, you know, people want to live again. You know, I think, I think you can only put life on hold for a certain period of time and then people start breaking out and saying like, Hey, uh, you know, um, you know, I think for us in the industry, um, there was never a, we never had the luxury of hunkering down. So like we've been out and about the whole time, whether we were wearing masks or not wearing masks or whatever, we, we never left the front lines of, of interface. Um, and, you know, I, I remember that first um, summer, you know, we, we were getting PPP funding with these intense restrictions of, and time restrictions suspended. And so, and then local laws were jumping on and off of different things. You know, we were, I, I think I talked to Multnomah County Health at least twice a week. And they probably weren't uh, giving you sure. good answers, much like when people are asking you, can we do yeah. this during that period of time? Yeah, you didn't yeah, know. Yeah. I didn't know, but I, you know, I, 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 I did my best to be as engaged as possible with our local health officials. 
uh, and to do everything that I could do within the parameters of what the health officials were telling me I could do. And even at that, I definitely received a lot of uh, pushback uh, from people, you know, saying, hey, letting me know that I was being irresponsible or things like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's more like, it, it was it was tricky. It was hard. You know, as an operator, it was, and I'm sure you've heard this from probably every operator that you've interviewed, that um, you, you didn't realize how ready everybody was willing to hate you uh, until you tried to run a restaurant through the pandemic. Right, and on top of that, you had that nice little layer of crime and a uh, lot of stuff going on in the industry um, that just wasn't necessarily related to the pandemic either. It was like, hey, if this isn't enough, here's another couple of little things for you to deal with. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're in a, you know, I guess, you know, is the pandemic over? It's not because in Portland, definitely, we're, we're seeing the, the scars of uh, what it means to put businesses downtown on hold or businesses in the central east side on hold, what it means to leave a portion of your city like virtually uh, vacant as far as foot traffic is concerned and open to other elements. And so I think, um, you know, I think that's a very, that's a very real um, thing as we as Portland operators have to confront. I, you know, I definitely, you know, I mentioned that I was interfacing with Multnomah County Health a lot during the pandemic. I'm definitely interfacing with city of Portland a lot more now than I ever have before. I'm definitely interfacing with uh, Portland police a lot more than I ever have before. Um, and, you know, in one ways it's training me to be a more engaged citizen. <laughs> Did you want to <laughs> be a more engaged a little... citizen before this, or is it just something you've come to live with? Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I, I had friends during the pandemic that were just enraged about the restrictions and Joel, you should be angry and all this stuff. And, and you know what I said, I was like, I don't, I don't have the luxury to be angry. I don't have the luxury to like ask that decision as to whether or not I would like to be more engaged or not. Like I have a business to run. I have people who depend on me as an operator uh, to get their back and to uh, do to the best I can for advocating for our business in the area of town that we're in. And, uh, and, you know, I, you know, I, I, getting back to your original question, you know, do I have hope or is there, is there hope? Is there a hopefulness? Um, I don't know if it's, if hope is the right word, I think resilience and, um, um, uh, sort of like a strategic optimism have as in you don't you can't you can't run a business on pessimism uh you got to run it on that are you um did you f have anything in your past that enabled you to um think that you would have this resilience or is it something that you found you had that surprised you i would imagine a lot of people hadn't been through this you certainly hadn't been through this specific drill before but um, right. but in terms of you know the the wherewithal to keep going 
Uh, I would imagine there was sometimes you just didn't have you didn't have the blueprint on what it was going to take to keep going. You had to keep trying new things. So, is there anything in your past and no. your you know childhood any any examples that you had um, that you think might have helped you to get through it, or is this just was this just Joel? I mean, and I don't mean just Joel. Was this Joel and right? Yeah. I, I you know I'm, I'm gonna kind of do a shout out to everybody in our industry. I, I think that restaurant people just by the nature of what we do are built resilient. Um, you know, restaurants already are a insanely high risk, uh, underpaid, uh, overworked, <laughs> uh, sort of industry. Like, you know, um, so, opening restaurant St. Jack in 2010 uh, was nail biting and scared the hell out of me constantly. And so like, do I have experience of being scared constantly that I'm not going to be able to achieve something while doing something? I don't know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I opened a restaurant in 2010 with my best friend. That was, <laughs> that, that, that showed me how much I did. And you know, kept going you too. Know? So, and you kept, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you keep going. And so I think, I think there's that. I mean, I, I grew up in the Philippines. I grew up, my parents are missionaries and uh, my parents worked with um, the poorest of the poor right outside of Metro Manila. My mom is a midwife. My dad ran an orphanage there, and there were babies being born in my house every day of the week. Um, so uh, I think one of the things I learned from my parents was that you, you don't – the support, the money doesn't have to be there, but we're still going to open our doors and take care of the people in front of us. Well, I – I think that you couldn't have found a better example to answer that question. Um, That's fantastic. And I find it interesting that that's how and where you grew up. And I don't think the natural progression from that is I'll open a French restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Um, I want to hear I want to hear how you went from there to there. Um, Listen, let's do that when we come back. We have to take a, a little break now to hear from our friends at ringside steakhouse and then we'll come back and talk about that all right chris we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in portland ringside steakhouse and i'm gonna say if you care about service and you like good service great service ringside is the place i mean i've discussed this with a number of friends there's nowhere in Portland that has better service than Ringside. Now, there may be some that have as good at times, but Ringside, you know you're going to be taken care of when you go in. So Every single time. Absolutely. Right. And it's cozy, and it's the food is great. Let's not forget that. But uh, if you want to take someone and, and make them feel special, Ringside is the place. And why not take them on, say, a Monday night where all night long it's their prime rib three-course dinner special. You get mixed greens. You get the prime rib, of course, along with the horseradish and Yorkshire pudding. And then you can wrap it all up with creme brulee. Are you a Yorkshire pudding fan, Court? I enjoy it, yeah. I love it. 
And uh, I know that I, I've enjoyed it all uh, quite often with their prime rib special, but also I've had the we've had the batter. We we got the batter in a kit. I don't know if they offer that, but we asked for it, and we mm-hmm. made Yorkshire pudding here uh, for some friends, and it was just delicious. So oh, very nice. Yeah, very nice. And also, are you aware? Yes, you are. That they have merchandise now. I'm looking at their their apron, a ringside apron. Who wouldn't want a ringside apron for grilling outside or or inside? Yeah. Now I, I I've been envious of these for some time, and they introduced these last year. And uh, it'd be you know for the ringside fan in your life, a great way to surprise them with something different. Right, and it's always nice to get a gift when it's not Christmas, when someone's just not expecting a gift. Yeah. That's the best time to surprise someone. So I would suggest take someone you love to ringside and then go to the bathroom and come back with a T-shirt, a <laughs> hat, or, a, or, a, uh, or an apron. One of, the, a, one of those. A little surprise. Nice. Yes, exactly. You can uh, make reservations a couple of different ways. You can go to the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. That's, of course, where you can find out all the different hours, um, things that are going on at uh, Ringside Steakhouse. Make your reservations there or hop on the Open Table app and make it through the app. Exactly. Best thing you can do. Ringside on West Burnside, or you can find them at ringsidesteakhouse.com. Okay, we're back. This is Right at the Fork, and we're here with Joel Gunderson, currently of Heavenly Creatures and Cooper's Hall, and doing a lot of work with with other chef's table properties, entities. What do we call them? Restaurants, I suppose. Yeah, I think we call them yeah, restaurants. Yeah, well, you've got a wine bar over there, so I didn't necessarily want to lump... Um, you yeah, know, yeah, in yeah, Portland, yeah. Restra- wine bars and bars are restaurants. They have to be. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to coin it. But thanks, Joel, for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, If I didn't really cover it up front, Joel, years ago, when no one knew what a podcast was, right? I don't know if you remember, Joel, when you came in, whether you knew what a podcast was. But I I I barely knew. I had just heard of him. And uh, my friend Heather Jones, who called me to audition to be the host of this podcast, and um, we did a little audition down near St. Jack. It was not far, right? It was a few blocks. You could pro- probably could have walked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's it. I guess it went well enough where I came back, but somehow you didn't. And so here, here we are <laughs> almost 10 years later, and it's good to finally have you here. And a, a lot has transpired since then. But um, I don't remember. We don't have that recording. It was with a completely different company than we or way that we record the podcast now. I would have liked to have listened to it, and I maybe you would have liked to have heard what your mindset was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a more innocent time. But we were just talking about your uh, childhood in the Philippines, and um, some of the – I thought that was fascinating how you immediately were able to think of the resilience of opening one's home when it was sometimes not that easy – um, as uh, a point to that as something that helped you get through this pandemic. But let's talk a little bit about your childhood and, and how you got from the Philippines here. You're obviously not Filipino. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are we, am I even allowed to say that nowadays? Am I allowed to even just assume yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, yeah, yeah, Filipino. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's true. I'm a. I'm an. Ex, I was an expat. Um, yeah, I, you know, I came back to the United States to go to college. Met a girl. She was from Portland. We moved up here together. Um, Where'd you go to college? Aaron Barnett. Where'd you go to college? Yeah, I went to a little uh, Christian liberal arts college called Westmont uh, up in Montecito. So I actually went from an environment where we were working with the poorest of the poor to uh, living among the wealthiest of the wealthiest. In California, yeah. 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 In California, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, uh, and yeah, in fact, Aaron and I uh, never met while I lived in Santa Barbara, but I had gone back to Santa Barbara for uh, a friend's wedding in 2000. And or maybe 2001, and Aaron and I met, and the rest is history. So we've been we've been pals since then. How did you meet? And, and talk a little bit about that. How you decided to be <laughs> how how you decided to be friendly enough to open a restaurant together? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we met at a party at my friend's house, and you know, I was, I, it was back in the day when you were just out of college. So when you went and visited a friend, you stayed at their house. And so you stay up all night drinking and then you wake up the next day together and, uh, hang out more. And so this is a guy um, I want to get drunk with. Oh, that's all right. This is the guy that? I want to get drunk with is what you Aaron is a great guy to get. Drunk with. Yeah, no, he, no, he's a good drinking buddy. Uh, we, you know, we just, in fact, I, I often, I often describe restaurant St. Jack as in two ways. I say, uh, I talked Aaron into moving to Portland and he talked me into becoming a sommelier. Uh, that's one thing. I, I, I feel like he's a friend who often believed in me more than I believed in himself, which was incredibly valuable to have. Uh, and then um, Restaurant St. Jack was, you know, we would often prior to him moving to Portland, we would hang out together and, he would tell me how I needed to train to become a sommelier and how we needed to open a restaurant together and we'd drink all night and I would promise him and say, yes, I'm going to do it. We're going to do this. And then I'd wake up the next morning just filled with dread. Like I just promised somebody that I'm going to open a restaurant with him and I have no idea how to do any of and that. And was his sole purpose um, in, in suggesting that's what you do in life? Was, was it a little bit selfish because he wanted you to be the guy or was it this is what you need to do just to to have growth and satisfaction in your life oh and by the way maybe someday you can open a restaurant with me (laughs) i I mean i think it was more we we need to do this thing like we want i want to do this like we want to do this thing together this you're super skilled and you know obviously untrained at that time but in in wine and and uh, let's do like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if self, I, I think that's how friendships work, right? You just, you build, off, you feed off of each other. And I think it was more that it was like, uh, I, I call it a six year conversation. All right. Well, so I'm curious whether you were just really good at opening a wine bottle and, and consuming it or whether you actually knew anything <laughs> for him to say that at that point in time, because, because I believe you just mentioned you were still in college or just out of college at that point in time. It was in our twenties, but yeah, I mean, so 
when that conversation started, it was probably like, uh, I guess 2003 would have been when that conversation started. So, uh, seven years before we opened restaurant St. Jack. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no. So what I, what I always had, even before, you know, jumping into wine professionally, it's just like a high recall for wine. So I would say, Oh yeah, I know we, we had that bottle uh, three months ago and it tasted like this. So I, I didn't have any training behind me, but I, um, I often feel like people in the wine industry are um, kind of fabulous catalogers, you know, like often you'll talk to somebody, you'll find out, Oh, they're also into jazz and they can probably tell you who was playing on, uh, you know, uh, kind of blue, like they, and, and they can, they can tell you different, you know, what other albums all of the other players were playing on as well. Um, so I find that pretty often in the wine industry is that, is that people who are professionals and good at what they're doing, they, they generally oft or they often have a cataloging mind. And so, um, not that I'm, uh, an audiophile, but, um, but I, I have high recall for different things. So, and I was able to put together that with wine. And so I, I would say like in, to a certain extent, that's, that's kind of like the sort of goofy thing that allowed me to, or believe that maybe I could I, become a I think it's a hell of a talent because I can't even think of cataloging that many things. I mean, there's so many different regions and so many different wines. So to, it, it's, pretty hard to be an expert at that and when you're good good enough at that to be doing it at a number of restaurants man you have i think you've you've passed a really high bar yeah i think it's just some of us just you know we just remember things in a different way and so like uh you know not to take what we as psalms do for granted but we're just a lot of us are just built this way and we can just remember shit <laughs> you know it's like that's fine um and it works out for us. So it's like, yeah, no, I can remember, you know, what a 2004, 2000, I can remember where I was when I had a 2010 Costa Rica, Blanc, and I can remember the profile of the wine. You know, those are just things I can That's remember. That's like a music yeah. memory. You can, when, I, when you hear a right, certain song yeah. from high school, you know exactly where you were, at least where you were smoking pot when you heard that song. Right. I mean, so they talk about, right. People talk about that. They talk about scent memory, for instance, like, our olfactory memories being incredibly um, important. I, I I remember like when my dad passed away in 2010, sorry, not 2010, 2007. Uh, my family is originally from Montana and we drove from Portland to Montana and we dropped down out of the Rockies into the plains right outside of Great Falls, Montana. And it was in the, early summer it was it was in june and it was all of the all of the flora from all of these scents coming off of the off of the plains kind of like hit us all at once and i just started crying i mean it, you know my dad i was going to a memorial service but on top of that it was it was my childhood you know it was it was something that i knew deep inside of me uh came back to me it was this it was the scent of of the planes that was incredibly important to me and in that moment like i knew it and it brought back so many memories 
And so I think with wine, it, it can be, you know, if you open yourself to it, like that's, that's part of it. It's, it's, it's like how we remember. It's a, it's a very strong memory system. If, if you, if you just, you know, allow yourself to, to go there. Um, I think it's interesting that the roots of that memory are in Montana, uh, as opposed to Paris or, you know, (laughs) or where you were in Montecito. Um, but that, but certainly that was where you developed a lot of it there, I would imagine. And the California, the California wine business. It, it, it it, It could be, um, it could be the sense of being moved like disjunction, like say like originally from Montana, Philippines, like, you go to these places and it's the smell of these places that, that lets you know you're home. And there's this sort of at homeness that you familiar, that you, that for me, like smell really is a huge part of that. You know, the dirty kitchen in my home in the Philippines, like I, I, I know that smell. And if I smelled it somewhere, I would, I would, I would take me back to there. And so. Have you um, smelled it anywhere in Portland? Has it come up yet? Uh, Anything like it? it, Yeah, I would say like back kitchen areas, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, like, you know, like uh, freshly clean tile, little moist, little uh, maybe on a muggy day. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm curious, you know, you you caused me to think of the tiny little kitchen at the original restaurant St. Jack. And that oh, yeah. must have had some interesting because it was so so compressed and so small, and I don't know what the ventilation was like. But you must have had a lot of a lot of aromas there that aren't appearing at the northwest version of the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was you know, I think whenever I walk into a place and there's um, you know bone stock being reduced that always takes me back to St. Jack. Like I'm there. Like that's, that's what I walked into in the morning. Like you open the door at, you know, for us, you know, as managers, you open the door at 9am, 10am and the stock is just being pulled from the night before I left to, to go overnight. And so it's like that early morning with bone stock, uh, that always brings me back to that's, that's my St. Jack. Right does, there, does that does your psalm the psalm side of you kick into gear when you hear that or when you smell that and start thinking about wine is that something that happens or has nothing to do with uh, it sure i mean i'm always thinking about wine so um and often i'm tasting you know you often we start tasting wine at 11 so <laughs> so you know i think for like heavenly creatures for instance um there's a strong Aaron just came and shoved something really delicious in my Hi, mouth. Hi, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen I, I haven't seen Aaron in a while, so <laughs> tell him I miss him. I, he had to. That was his cameo. Right I miss there. him dearly. Just I just well, he's been, he's yeah. been with us before, but we just got his hand and his spoon. That's good. We're happy to have yeah. any part of Aaron yeah. we can. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, um, I, 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 I do think absolutely um, that when I came 
when I started thinking about heavenly creatures and concepting it, and then Aaron was like, I want to play too. Can I be the consulting chef for this? Um, it dramatically influenced how I would start uh, purchasing for this project. Um, what what were the odds uh, you were going to say to him, no, you're not the guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've been talking, ever since I left St. Jack, we've been trying to figure out how we can uh, do something together. And so Heavenly Creatures has really allowed us to, um, to, uh, to be together, to push each other. Um, and, I, you know, you know, kind of going back to that, that question about, you know, was, was his recommendation for you to become a psalm personally motivated? It's like, as personally motivated as it is that I just want to hang out with you like that. And here's a, here's a great way that we can do it. And, um, and I think, I think that the spirit of innovation often with friendships, right. can can come about through, through something that is less, um, transactional, I guess, and just more like emotional. It's, it, it's, it's, um, it's the happiness of being together that can really build something good. Well, then it must be, it's gotta be obviously exciting. I mean, look, you're sitting there, who else is, uh, being interviewed on this podcast to get spoons where they get to taste, taste <laughs> something that's going on in the kitchen, but that it must be great to be back together. And conversely, was it a little difficult for you to leave St. Jack a few years ago and go off and do your own thing? Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a definite, that was, that was a really hard decision. And, um, I think if I could have, well, I, I, you know, I think, I think Kurt really did a good job of, a hard it's a hard question to answer yes it was hard <laughs> sometimes that's <laughs> it was the easiest way it was heartbreaking it was really it was it was heartbreaking for both of us and you know i think um i i think um that you know now that we, we have this opportunity to, to work together again it's trying to make sure that we can build something in a, in a way that both that will work for both of us so that we can do it longer together. So I think that's, you know, that's the exciting thing. And that's always the, um, you know, I needed to go and open Cooper's hall with Kurt, that it was an opportunity that, um, and we're speaking about Kurt Huffman of chef's table, just Kurt, for those who, yeah, for those Kurt who Huffman don't know. Table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, to be able to, maintain the friendship after leaving. Uh, you know, I, I actually did continue to run the wine program for restaurant St. Jack, uh, for three years after leaving, um, as a general manager. Um, but that day in day out is, is the real guts of the thing, you know, and, and, um, as a consulting wine person, I do enjoy it, but there is something, incredibly different and incredibly more dynamic about being on premise being, you know, and actually being part of the hospitality agenda. Um, and, you know, I think, I think so often wine 
gets divorced from hospitality and wine directors think of their wine as don't think of their wine program within the, the idea of hospitality, that it is actually an arm of creating a space that is welcome to the guest. Um, and, and that can often, I think, lead to that sort of um, friction between the consumer and, and wine, you know, because, <laughs> because they're thinking of it as like, oh, this thing that I do that's awesome and cool and very expensive and elite, um, as opposed to being like, no, come in and drink. Um, now, you know, what we do at Heavenly Creatures, I, I, you know, I say all this and then I realize that I opened a 22-seat restaurant uh, where I serve really expensive wine. <laughs> and, you know, we have $20. Our glass pours are between, you know, 15 and $30. Um, but for me, it's, it's taking these last 13 years of being intensely focused on restaurants, opening restaurant after restaurant, consulting on openings. Omerta, that's another one that I forgot. You know, opening a place like Omerta with a $80,000 opening list, doing staff trainings every week there. Uh, and then saying, well, how do I, how do I take all of that information? How do I take all of that knowledge and then still focus on the thing that gets me most excited about wine and food, which is celebration, right? It's just like, um, or just that I love it, that we love it. Like, that's why we're here. <laughs> we're trying to do something that we love and we're trying to open our doors. And, um, you know, obviously hospitality is something that I also love and cherish and, um, and want to be good at. Like I actually want to be as good at hospitality and, uh, find welcoming somebody into a space as I do, uh, want to be about, you know, uh, knowing, the top producers in Chasson Montrachet or something. Well, like you've that. worn a few hats. It's not as though you haven't. And, you know, there are a few others that I can think of right off the bat. You know, Mr. Fortgang, who has managed places and also been, you know, the SOM, or, and he's doing different things as well, too. Um, Absolutely. So does this give you, does Heavenly Creatures give you the opportunity to uh spread out your wings a little bit more and go and work with some wines that you wouldn't have worked with ordinarily at some of the other restaurants? Uh, is that, uh, what would you, if someone were to say what makes Heavenly Creatures what it is, what would you say? What, what would be your elevator speech? Uh, yeah, I mean, audacity maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, we, I would say what makes Heavenly Creatures what it is is that, I, you know, I'd almost go back to the, the original St. Jack and say um, that we are deeply invested in the, the things that we're working with. Like, I love the wine. I love the food. Um, but I guess as far as, you know, product is concerned, absolutely. Um, and I think that being, I think there's, a, you know, there's two edges to it. One is that I think having done this and having done it as intensely as I have for this many years uh, allows me to be in the space where, like, where I get to play with 
these different wines um, and um, have the confidence to, you know, pull the cork on a, a foyard on a Thursday night and know that we're going to sell every glass of it in the next 45 minutes. Is that because uh, the clientele knows it or because you are uh, you're confident that you're going to be able to ex- explain it well enough to make sure it's served? The people in the know will know it. I mean, Foyard is, you know, a big name, but, um, but no, I think it, it's mainly about, inter- again, it's like saying like, hey, I, 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 we want to open something special that you've never had before and you don't even know about until right now. And we're going to tell you about it. And that, you know, our whole glass port list consists of bottles like that. Um, we're taking a risk with the price point because I do want to put in front of people these wines that I've been able to enjoy, that I've been able to work with. Um, but most people don't ever get to drink. You know, usually sit on a, a bottle list at a restaurant, you know, for like 120 bucks. And so even pouring it, by, you know, even as expensive or pricey as an 18 to $22 glass pour is, um, it's still a lot more approachable than pulling something off a, a bottle list for, you know, 120, 150 Oh, exactly. Um, that doesn't seem, for someone who I don't spend, I'm not a big wine drinker, that doesn't seem, in the United States, that doesn't seem completely, that doesn't seem very expensive to me right now. I when mean, I go to Europe, it's a whole different thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when I go to Europe, I'd spend a lot more money on wine by the bottle and by the glass than a lot of American consumers would. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still buying the producers that I want to buy and they aren't cheap. And they aren't cheap in Europe either. <laughs> They're cheaper. You know, they haven't gone through like a three tier system and been marked up another sixty percent. Uh but you know, people in downtown Barcelona still have their bills to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, and it's still, you know, when I, when I'm in these places, I'm still spending like 16 euro on a glass of wine, 17 euro on a glass of wine. So it actually, I guess, does translate, I guess the wine that I'm, <laughs> no, that's a good glass of I'm, wine. I'm, so I'm industry and, and we're, and we're, we're crazy. Like, we're, you know, this is, we don't think about it, but I, I, I would argue that, the average American consumer spends like eight bucks on like some crappy venti, whatever something Chino at, at a Starbucks, you know? And, and so that's, I think where I push back and have a little attitude, I'm like, yeah. And and I'm going to offer you a glass of wine uh, that is made by a family who's been making this wine for 150 years. And, and that's special and that's, that's holding up, you know, traditions that's being able to explore geographies. It's being able to, um, take people to places that none of us can afford to go to, <laughs> you know, like we can't go to, we can't fly to Hungary tomorrow, but we can pull corks on wine from Hungary and, and, and talk about, um, the history of, a region like Shomlo or, you know, Tokai and, and, and taste it and taste what those people have been doing for hundreds of years. And that's kind of cool. Um, and so I, I think the other thing, you know, when I think about heavenly creatures is, is just this generosity of spirit within 
the information that we share about what we're pouring. So often when you go to a restaurant to have a SOM experience, you have to pull those bottles off a shelf. You have to order the big one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or like, you know, if you're going to call the SOM over, they're going to, they're going to try to get you towards that big one and maybe be disappointed if you don't. Um, but every table, every conversation we have here is that it's, you know, we're excited about everything that we're pouring. We curated the whole list here. You know, my, my co-buyer, Mark Gutelli, who was recently the SOM over at rest at lock St. Jack. Um, you know, so it doesn't matter if you order the $14 glass or if you order the $22 glass, like, we're excited about these things and, and we want to tell you about it. If you want to, listen. are you there? Um, are you holding down the fort? A lot of the time, I would imagine that some of your other ventures over time, you're able to find a little work life balance that you may not have had, you know, ha- and you know, have you gone to Hawaii with your family? <laughs> Did you ever get to do that yeah. trip? Yeah. I mean, I knew uh, I crammed a bunch in prior to the opening of heavenly creatures. Cause I know what a heavenly, I know what a, an opening takes and I knew what I wanted to do with heavenly creatures. And I knew that it would take me here a lot. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that I'm hoping in, well, I'm hoping by March I'll be able to take a, a little break, but right now I'm here every night. Uh, we're going to six days a week, either next week or the following week, depending on if we can get our staffing together. Uh, you know, that's another crisis, but, um, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I think for me, it's incredibly important to build culture inside a space and, and really put the, and you can't do that. You can't phone that in, you know, again, like from being a consultant for so long, like you, and having both experiences side by side, you know, even doing staff training once a week at Omerta, like it did not create the wine culture that an on-premise person who's there all the time will create. Um, and then it's engaging with the food and engaging with the people that are cooking the food and talking about, you know, the techniques, watching the food being cooked, uh, running those plates to the table. All of that is so important to think, to me to thinking about the wine. Like it's it's not a... And that is why we have such, you know, you mentioned like you can't have a wine bar in Portland without a good food program, but there actually are a lot of wine program bars in Portland that don't have basically any food program. And, and I think that is one way that we're distinguishing ourselves too, is being heavily invested in our food Heavenly program. invested. So talk a little bit about the name Heavenly Creatures. And I'm amused by the juxtaposition of Heavenly Creatures at the same time when you're talking about Omerta. <laughs> there are a little there's a little yeah, bit on yeah, different no, sides of the coin there but just you know heavenly creatures is your baby and what uh what caused you to come yeah. up with that name uh well I, I my wife uh jenna actually named it uh and obviously we saw the peter jackson film back in the day uh you know very dark uh film that has a lot of uh, <laughs> intense darkness in it, but I haven't seen um, it. So I, that's, that's news to me. I would have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's Kate Winslet's first, first film. Um, 
but yeah, um, so that, you know, somewhere bouncing around in the back of our heads was that sort of, um, that, uh, that sort of like juxtaposition of, of heavenly creatures is such a sort of like lovely name. And then the darkness that exists within that film. Um, we just like that junk, this junction. Um, I often say, you know, not all heavenly creatures are angels. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, also uh, did you, I probably, I don't know if I want to ask this or you want me to ask this, but can you just use that name without going to, uh, the, the producers and finding out whether you can, is that, is that something that would be in the public domain? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of like, um, like pet care things that are called. Yeah, I guess so. I know. Who knows? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you can, you know, um, it, you know, Peter Jackson might give us a ring and, and, uh, yeah, well, that's create a cease and desist. But I think since it doesn't, um, actually inter- like if we were trying to name like a movie or something related to a film, heavenly. Creatures, well, then, I also think if you had would've... movie posters up, that would be a problem. So I think yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah, directly yeah. referencing it, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So it's just like, again, it was there like in the back of our psyche, but like all of our bottles are, are heavenly. Creatures. Exactly. Like, they, it's like a, you know, it's a thing. And, and, uh, um, we get it. I think it's the, a nice yeah, name. Just, I think it's a very positive, nice name at a time when we need that, you know, we need some positive, nice things right now. And, and, yeah. um, the imagery of, you know, to go somewhere, yeah, I mean, you've been into the space since you've been into the churro space, so you know it's it's a tiny space. It's, um, it was one of those things that, like, all year we were like, it's going to be so cool. We're opening a 22-seat restaurant, wine bar. And then two weeks beforehand, I started, like, losing sleep because I was like, oh, my God, we're opening a 22-seat. Like, people are going to hate us. It's so tiny. We're, like, on the other side of a pandemic. And we're ordering, <laughs> we are opening a space that like is pretty tightly packed. It's reminiscent of these like wine bars that we went to in Barcelona and Paris and like that we loved and, you know, our, our New York city, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a packed in confined space. And, um, and so it, it did feel audacious. <laughs> and again, you know, like right on the front of a, of a, of an economic downturn and we're opening a place that is selling $20 glass pours. And so, but I think that's what we need in Portland. I think that that is what has made Portland great in the past. And like, we can't forsake that innovative spirit. Like that is the optimism that I hold on to is that we as small producers and makers can make the difference. We've made the difference before we know that we've done it and we can do it again. It's going to take a lot of work and it's going to suck. And it's going to be hard, but like, you know, it's worth it. Do you feel like, uh, how do you feel about the Portland food world now, uh, in 2023 versus 2018 for, for instance, or we can go back 2010, you know, when you opened restaurant St. Jack, right. um, that was a very interesting, hopeful, um, just, I thought it was an awesome period where a lot of people were doing fantastic things and breaking out from right. their mentors and, and finding their way. Um, I guess that's happening now, but a lot of those mentors are gone. Yeah. 
I mean, I kind of feel like it is closer to 2010 than 2018. I think there is a lot of opportunity for younger uh, makers to get out there and take risks. Um, you know, obviously a lot of real estate has opened up <laughs> and, uh, and it is a landscape where people who are willing to take that risk can go out and, and do something, you know, special, um, you know, street disco down on foster open almost like within a week of us, maybe a week before us. And they're a wine bar that like us has like a, a more extensive food program and, um, they're in the old foster burger space. And so, you know, they're slinging natural wine and throwing good food out. And that's awesome. And, and we both did it at the same time. And there seems to be enough interest in both spaces for both of our spaces to be full, you know, every night. Um, so it, it, I think it shows, shows us that if we are daring enough to open doors and do things that, we can um, we can still make a difference in the city and, and that, that there's still an appetite. Like, people want to go out. People want to have a good time. Like, people, I think, you know, going back to that security issue, people just want to know that the money that they're spending is, is worth it. And so um, I know that what I, I, I believe that what I'm doing in my spaces is, is, is worth the money that people are spending. I know that I know that we're working hard towards trying to create those. Well, if for anybody who's still with us, who's been with us for this hour, I can just tell you that um, you and I haven't spoken a lot in the last many years, but you can just hear your heart. And you can hear the, the authentic, authenticity that comes through in everything that you do. And I, I feel like that has become a word that people overuse and apply to themselves a lot. And I'm going to apply it to you so it's a little more genuine when I'm applying it than when someone is deciding I'm authentic. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you put a lot of heart into it. You've got a lot of experience. And you know what you're doing, and having Aaron there with you is like killer, because the two of you have proven that you can do some incredible things. And um, yeah, I think it's and the timing is right, right? People, maybe a year ago it would have been a rough go because getting yeah. getting that many people yeah. in a in a 22 seat space would have been tough. But uh, is anybody is anybody worried about masking and that sort of thing now? I mean, we have people that come in with masks on and then they take them off when they're at their table and then put them back on when they leave. Which is just the oddest thing ever. Put it on, it put it like on when you're like at the table and then go outside and put it, I mean, and put it on outside, which makes no sense. But Well, like it's literally like 10 steps to the right. door from anywhere in this building. So it's like, it's, again, but, uh, you know, I, uh, everybody has their own thing that they need to do to get through these days. So um, I'm just happy that, you know, somebody who wears a mask inside a space is going to come in and, and be with us and, and decide to have a good time. So um, that makes, you know, I that, think that's, that makes that's the bottom line for you. So um, it, I, I congratulate you for opening it. And um, I hope you know, I know one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to keep you much longer, was um, 
you know, Portland as a city and how it's faring right now for residents and even for the people downtown. Do you have optimism about that? Do you feel like we're, we're turning the corner? I, I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I know that, again, um, we as make, you know, we as makers in Portland, pe- people who are running small businesses, um, are obviously for me like with my event business i'm incredibly worried about that that's portland's reputation is um means that you know things won't get booked at the at the uh convention center which means that i might lose a hundred thousand dollars in revenue just from that alone you know um people thinking that where Cooper's Hall is located in the central east side is an unsafe part of town to be in now. Um, that's terrifying. You know, that might mean somebody doesn't want to have their wedding there because they don't want to scare their family. And, um, but I can't, I have to choose optimism. I have to choose, I guess, resilience and hopefulness. Like maybe not optimism, but like I have to choose to stay engaged with the city uh, and you know, I don't really have a choice. I'm locked in. <laughs> and so, um, I can't, I could throw in the towel, I guess, and pick up somewhere else, but that just seems, that doesn't seem me. That wouldn't be right. No, and you're a part, and so, you're a part of Portland, man. You can't see, that's what's yeah. so disheartening for me is that a lot of the folks like Vitaly who were like embodied Portland, Oregon, aren't here anymore so we need you to stay we need you and aaron to be successful and um yeah i i'm sure that'll happen and um listen i i appreciate what you're doing it's great so and i appreciate you're coming by i don't want to keep you any longer yeah my friend love this conversation yeah no i i hope i i found it to be a, a great conversation and i'd love to have you back sooner than 10 years that would probably be, my, yes, that'd be that great. would be a nice goal. Yeah. Uh, and it's not as the, I, as I said earlier, we discussed it. I don't know why it never happened, but um, oh, I know why because at one point there wasn't a lot of positive to say. That when we were, when I, I remember, right. I contacted you when you were having a little bit of a challenge going on, and that was not the time you wanted yeah, to talk. Yeah. You wanted to wait till this to be more positive, and I'm glad we did. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. All right, Joel. I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care. Say hi to Aaron. I will do. Bye. Bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. dot com.